Evening, everyone. Sorry, I was, well, it was in my defence, 5.31 when I pulled into your car park, so I was barely late, but it was very close. It's only because I checked my email. It is easy to get confused, isn't it? I heard the story the other day um, that a, the President of the United States was being moved from a building across to his limousine to go somewhere, and um, they, of course, had all the security services and everything around like they do in America, and police and everyone cordoned off. And as he... As, um, the president walked across, a secret service agent spotted someone in the crowd raise a gun. And he shouted in a moment, Mickey Mouse! And um, there was such surprise that everyone looked up, others saw the gun, and as they do, the police jumped on the guy and the president was bundled into the limousine and it sped off. And, and afterwards, the boss of the secret service agent came up to him and said, good job today, good spot, you saved the day, well done but why did you shout Mickey Mouse? And he said, oh, I don't know, I got confused. I meant to have shouted Donald Duck. <laughs> Think about it, you'll get there in a minute. So um, <laughs> I thought it was funny anyway. But some are still looking blankly, but you're okay. just while I'm preaching, have a think about it, it'll be fine. Um, so I was sent um, uh, an email a while ago asking me to look to this evening at Numbers chapter 34. I would be lying if I said on my first reading of it, I panicked slightly. Um, I've been given the odd tricky passage over the years, but this is right up there when you're looking for an inspirational <laughs> sermon. But we will have a go, we'll have a look. And you'll excuse me if I'm, I spend a lot of the time, we're going to try and make it sort of relevant to ourselves tonight and, um, uh, and to our experience. But um, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Numbers 34 and... Um, we will we'll read the beginning of the chapter to, to start with. So Numbers 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites and say to them, When you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance will have these boundaries. And just in verse 2, that's our two words that we're thinking about this evening. Inheritance and boundaries. Your southern side... Um, was explained, will include some of the desert of Zin along the border of Eden. On the east, your southern boundary will start from the end of the Salt Sea, cross south of Scorpion Pass, continue on to Zin and go south of Kadesh Barina. Then it will go to Hazar Adar and over to the Asmon, where it will turn, join the Wadi of Egypt and end at the sea. Your western boundary will be the coast of the Great Sea, this will be your boundary on the west. Um, and then he goes on in verses 7 to 9 to explain the northern boundaries and then the eastern boundaries. And then at the end of verse, or we'll read verse 12, the boundary will go down along the Jordan and end at the Salt Sea. This will be your land with its boundaries on every side. Moses commanded the Israelites, assign this land by lot as an inheritance. The Lord has ordered that it be given to the nine and a half tribes because of the families of the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance. These two and a half tribes have received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan of Jericho towards the sunrise. And then the Lord said to Moses, these are the names of the men who are to assign the land for you as an inheritance. 
And from there on, we get a list of names down to verse 29 of the people who are actually to sort out the inheritance. Now, if I just glance around, many of you may not look particularly inspired by um, that reading because on first look, actually, it's basically a list of place names um, followed by a list of names of people. So if anyone wants to preach tonight, this is your chance to come and take over. But I, I really want us to concentrate on just two words from it, okay? Inheritance and boundaries. Do you know, look, um, we shared a moment ago that some here may have shared this piece, the Lord's Supper, oh, I don't know how many times, hundreds of times, maybe over the years, over the decades, being in a service like this. And, um, but do you know something? The longer you're a Christian, the more you realize how much there is to it. The more you realize how much I don't know and how much I've still to learn. Um, it becomes very evident, in fact, that when you're first saved and become a Christian, um, you, you realize only a drop in the ocean of what you've been brought into. Now, this story is set in a time when there's a great big people led by Moses. Later on, it's going to be taken over by Joshua. They're going to go into a brand new land. They're going to drive out the people that are there, and God is going to give them this land. It's the land today that we call Israel, just on the um, eastern end of the Mediterranean. Um, and so you might have noticed the Great Sea as a boundary on one side of it. So this land is actually going to be gifted as an inheritance to a group, a bunch, a, 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 a nation of people. And they're going to move in. They're going to take it over. It will be theirs. And around the outside of it will be boundaries, the borders of their land that will belong to them. You know, when you become a Christian, you too have an inheritance, something that you come into that is yours. Graham Kendrick, years ago, um, I just looked in the book, actually, it's in, in Mission Praise, wrote a song um, that starts like this. The price is paid, come let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make our own. And I think we can maybe think of that inheritance in two separate stages, although in, in one way it's all one. Um, one is this, the inheritance that we come into when we come into the abundant Christian life. Jesus said, You've come, I've come so that you can have life to the full. And that's a bit like the people of Israel as they moved into Canaan, which was a, a place of faith and fruitfulness, a place of obedience and victory. They were going to hang around in the desert for years. Um, a whole generation was going to come and go, but eventually they'd have the faith, the obedience to follow God and to go and grasp hold of all that was theirs. We can also think about inheritance um, in terms of heaven, of what we'll come into one day. Um, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So there's this sense that we will have an, a future inheritance as well. We will come into that with Jesus. Hebrews 9.15 says something similar. Um, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement with, with God, that those that are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And so the Bible speaks about uh, a future day for Christians, 
when we will enjoy an inheritance that is ours in Christ. We actually have something coming to us to look forward to. But in another way, and this is important, we've really got it now. It's all in Christ. And we can know the fullness of that if we will live lives of faith and obedience now. See, this great people, it started with um, Joseph, and then about 70 of them, or exactly 70 of them, went to live in Egypt. That number grew, you might well know this story, um, until, I don't know, maybe one and a half, two, some people even think three million people lived as Israelites within Egypt. Uh, And there was this great story, the plagues and everything happened, and the Passover and all of those things, one of the great Bible stories. And the people were led out of Egypt. And they got over the Red Sea, they got away. But that was only half the story, because Moses brought them out. God led them out so that in turn they could be led in, into a new promised land. It wasn't a a full stop. And neither is your salvation. If you've become a Christian, God doesn't save you just so that you can come out of sin and and everything that, excuse me, the penalty of sin that has a hold of you. He brings you out to bring you in into all the fullness, the abundant life that he gives. I'm just looking. Oh, there's not a cup of water there, is it? Sorry. Sorry. <coughs> I have a slight frog in my throat, which is annoying me. Um, one of the best places we can see some of this, and it's a book that I think ties in well with um, this sort of time period in the Old Testament, is in a letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And... Um, In his letter, um, a couple of times he prays, and he explains what he's praying for. And um, if you have a Bible, just turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you, Jim. Ephesians chapter 1. And um, we'll just read a couple of the prayers of Paul. And they might just help us understand something of what Christ wants to bring us into, our inheritance. So Ephesians 1 verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, so here we go, this is what the Apostle Paul is asking. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul actually spent time praying that his friends in Ephesus would know Jesus better. We pray about all sorts of things, don't we? Um, Pray about the weather and safe journeys and well, the preacher will turn up probably if you're chairing it, and, uh, and things like that. But um, Paul really prayed that these people would know Jesus better. Do you pray that for each other? <clears throat> you prayed that for anyone today? That, that as you look around, you think, yeah, I pray that you and you and you and you would know Jesus better, that you'd be drawn more into him. Um, it's really easy to make Christian life about the stuff we do and the, the busyness that we have, and many of you, no doubt, are involved in all sorts of things um, in life. 
But first, Paul's first prayer isn't that the meeting will go well or that the mission will be effective or that whatever else is going on. It's that people will know Jesus better, get drawn deeper into him. That's part of your inheritance, to know Christ, to know him in all of his wonder and beauty and glory and love and just to be drawn into him. Do you spend time to do that? That's your inheritance. That's what you're saved for, to know him. Do you know what eternal life is? To know God. Jesus prays it in John chapter 17. He states it, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, as he talks to his father. Coming into the the depth of, of following God, getting to know him, enjoying him, not because of all the stuff that needs to be done, but just enjoying him for who he is, spending time with him. You spent time with God today, this week, not just praying for things, but just being with him. It's a huge challenge in our really busy world that so, you know, there's just noise and stuff all the time everywhere, isn't there? Really hard sometimes just to get alone with God. Well, Paul's prayer is that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come and will work in our lives so that we may know him better. And then verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order... What's he going to pray for this time? That you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So second thing, and I wonder if you've thought about this today, your inheritance that's to come. Paul prays that you will be filled with hope so that you will know the inheritance that is yours. It's okay to think about heaven. It's okay to think about all that is going to be yours. the the wonder of what God has stored up for us if we have set our treasure in heaven, to come into that inheritance. In in our world, if um, I want to, I think I've done it, um, I I can have a will and leave my stuff to my kids. Um, And if I chose to, if they annoyed me enough, I might write them out of my will and put, you know, somebody else in. You know, I can threaten them with the Baddersley Cats Home or whatever if they're not behaving, um, and I leave my inheritance there. Actually, in the Roman world, when you were born, you were born into an inheritance. So it was just naturally passed on. So what was mine would go to my my son, Charlie, um, my firstborn, and it would be passed on. He, He, as he was born, my first child was born, he would have become at that moment my inheritor. And you know what? Paul understood that and he wrote and he said, as you come into the family of God, as you're adopted, you become inheritors of all that is Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Do you ever stop and think about that? Think about all that God has given to you, all that God will give to you, all that he is bringing you into In some ways, it's not all ours yet, but in another way, it is. It's already been given to us in Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there, um, because in verse 19, he says, and. So we've got that we would have revelation and understand Christ more. We've got that we would have riches, the inheritance. But now there's a third. He says this, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And then Paul looks around and thinks, how can I explain this power? Does he talk about creation? Does he talk about all that God has made he could have done? Does he talk about the miracles that Jesus has done? Does he, he start pointing to the day when Jesus calmed the storm? Or, um, or does he, he point to the heavenlies and talk about the, the angels that are at God's command? Actually, as he talks about the power that is ours, that he wants us to know, part of our inheritance that he wants to bring us into, just like Moses was trying to G up the Israelites to say, look what's going to be yours. He says this, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, Paul says this, I want you to know that there is this power that when Jesus was lying lifeless in a tomb, they'd taken a, a bl bloodied, beaten corpse, completely dead, without life, laid it in a tomb, left it there, cold, lying on a slab of stone. And the power that came, that grasped hold of Jesus, breathed life and healing into him brought him up, rode the stone away, brought him out to a brand new life, and then a few days later ascended him to heaven and to the highest of heights beside the Father at the, the right hand of God with all of everything beneath his feet. That power, that resurrection power, Paul says, I'm praying that you know you have it. Do you know you have it? Honestly? You don't look surprised. Maybe you didn't know. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is part of our inheritance. The kind of power that can take a corpse and put him on the throne of heaven. The kind of power that can defeat death and hell and sin and, uh, uh, and all the demons and all the spiritual world of evil uh, and all of the, the powers that would have held onto him and kept that tomb sealed. The kind of power that reaches into the grave and takes the lifeless form of Jesus and exalts into the highest place. That actual power, Paul says, I pray that you will know it in Great Parks, in Paynton, in 2020. Do you? Do you know the reality of that in your life? If you come into that part of your inheritance that says you can live with the power of God in your life, in your fight against sin, in your service, in your witness, in your character as you seek to be changed, to be like God. So Paul prays, and he prays for revelation that you'll know Christ. And he prays for riches that you will understand all that is yours. And he prays for resurrection power to come into your life to fill you, that you may know what is yours. It's a sad thing, isn't it? When I, I you know, I... <clears throat> I, I, this won't apply to young people because they don't seem to get stuck on it, but I've got an old mobile phone here, which I've had for nearly three years. Battery's dying on it now, unfortunately. Um, I still don't know half of what it can do. Um, I'm still finding out things, usually explained to me by my children. 
Um, because there's so much potential in these little computers we carry around with us now. I mean, I've worked out the basics. I'm not completely thick. I can make a phone call on it and maps, and it tells me it'll take me how many minutes to Great Parks, and I try and beat it and things like that. But um, <clears throat> all sorts of things I know it can do. But the, the other day, I didn't realize. I've always been looking out for one of those things that tell you how many steps you do in a day. Have you got one of them? Yeah. Um, yeah, one of them. There we are. Thank you, my lovely assistant there. Um, and I was thinking I could do with one of them. I'd be quite interested to know, you know, how far I've walked if I go for a walk, that kind of thing. And I had my phone two and a half years before I realised it was on my phone. And it was um, tracking me everywhere I went. It makes you wonder who else is tracking you, doesn't it? But there we are. Oh, there's a creepy thought. But there we are. You see, there is all this potential unlocked. Or, or locked, if you like, in my pocket. That needs to be unlocked. That needs to be released. How much in your Christian life and experience is like that? How much do you know Christ? How much do you enjoy him? How much do you take in that inheritance? And, and you know, if you turn over to chapter 3, and I won't have time to dwell on this now, um, but Paul prays again. And he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know how much God loves you? You need power to grasp that. It's not a little thing. Usually we think we need power for for mission or service or something that's going on, don't we? And we pray for the power of God to come and change things. Listen, Paul says you need power to grasp how much God loves you. Just how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ. And you need to know that. If you don't grasp it, honestly, Christianity will get really boring. You ever, I don't know, seen a film about a couple that have, you know, been married a long time and fallen out of love, and they, they go and get counselling or something, and, it, you know, and the counsellor tries to reenact their first... Have you ever seen that kind? I don't watch rom-coms, you can tell, can't you? But I, um, I've had to sit through the odd one here and there. Um, but that kind of story, if a marriage becomes loveless, it becomes difficult and hard going and it all even if they stay together just you know it's all about walking the dog and getting the kids off to school and uh, and honestly Christian faith can go like that if you're not careful if you forget just at the heart of it however much we sing about it if you really forget in your spirit just how passionately and desperately and enormously God loves you and wants the best for you even people that have walked with him for years can fall into the trap of doing stuff almost as a duty to God and missing out on the delight of knowing him. Oh, young people as well, sorry, but guys, early in your lives, just grasp how much God loves you. You'll change your life. It becomes just this overflowing that you want to share with, with others and, uh, and walk with him. Grasp it. Realize it. You need power for this. This is a big thing. 
This is a, a, a something that takes energy and time and focus, but it's part of your inheritance. And as Moses was in the <coughs> run-up to, to sort of these people heading towards the promised land, the Lord instructed him, let them know what their inheritance is. Let them know the boundaries. Let them know what I'm bringing them into. Give them that hope. Tell them their future. Have you grasped it? Have you grasped all that is yours? In Christ. Have you realized and do you understand just how much God loves you? And what he's brought you, brought you into, how much he wants the best for you day by day. How desperately he wants to know you and to reveal himself to you so that you can know him more. Well, they were going to head into an inheritance and they were going to be organized. These men, whose names we haven't um, read tonight, were going to be put as leaders so that everyone could know what their part of the inheritance was. And um, the Israelites were going to come into Canaan, and they were going to be able to enjoy this inheritance that, they, that God was giving to them. But um, we read part of it, and I'm... Um, you can take time and trace it on a map if you want to. You can find the boundary around the inheritance as well. So there was going to be a geographical area that would belong to the Israelites. This would be their land. See on one side, Jordan on the other, and then a sort of um, a bit of around the top and the bottom to say this is the borders of your land. It was very clearly defined, um, very obvious boundaries. Um, I haven't done it recently. When I was a kid, and we used to sometimes go to the seaside, I would um, take time to build a sandcastle. And if you ever built a sandcastle? Yeah, that's all do. Uh, have you ever built a proper one? I don't mean just turning a bucket upside down. I mean doing a proper job of it. I mean getting down there, building a nice moat around the outside, putting it up, turrets, flags, filling it up with water around. You know, I mean a proper castle, Yeah. And you can spend ages on them, can't you, building a decent sandcastle, a big, you know, a real big proper one, and, uh, and you get it built, and, you know, various people walk by and trip over because you've dug such a big hole, and it's funny. And, and, and you build this sandcastle, and it's looking really good. But what happens later in the day with your sandcastle? The tide comes in. Yeah, the tide comes in. And, and what was lovely, sharp, clear edges? You got your sand, you got it wet so you could really build it sharp and nice, yeah? So that it's standing up really beautiful edges and turrets all the way around and that. Uh, but gradually, you see, the, the wave comes in, hits the... Uh, and you can watch if you're still around that time of day. You probably lost interest in eating ice cream or throwing a frisbee by now. But, but when you come back, the, the waves have gone over your sandcastle and it's just rounded it off. If you look later on, it's just like this mode of sand. What was really special to you, what was different from all the other millions of tons of sand on the seashore um, uh, uh, that you'd looked after, that you'd shaped, that you'd molded, has now become just a mound of sand. And, of course, if you leave it long enough, it'll flatten out like everything else. Do you know, when, when God was leading the people of Israel through Moses into the new land, he said to them more than once this, you will be my holy people. I want you to go in there, and I want you to remain as my people. You're going to go into a land where people do evil stuff. And actually, I want you to get rid of them. 
What I don't want you to happen is this, that you will get in there and start to be like them. I don't want your sons to marry their daughters or vice versa. I don't want you to go in there and start to worship their gods because that will be the next thing, you know. You, you marry a girl from in Canaan, and before you know it, she's setting up a little idol in your house, and you're both bowing down to it. I don't want that to happen. I don't want their priorities to be your priorities, their attitude to be yours. I want you to be my holy people. Holy, it means set apart, separate, different, special, like the sand that makes your sandcastle. It's different to all the other sand. And God said, of all the peoples of the earth, you will be my people, and I'll be your God. And you'll be holy to me. You'll be set apart to me. You'll be different to everyone else. And I want you to have clear, sharp edges. And you know what God knew the huge risk was as his people went to live in Canaan? That the tide would come in. What I mean is this, that the people of Canaan would start to, to hang around and bit by bit wash over the Israelites. And before you know it, the Israelites would be marrying their kids and, and um, they're worshipping their idols and it happened. It happened. And instead of a nice clear edge where God could look down and say, this is my people, everything started to get all blurred and at times you couldn't tell them apart from everybody else. Their behavior was so bad. The kingdom of God today, the people over which God reigns, do not have boundaries of rivers and hills and valleys and seas and international borders that hold us in. But we are called to be different. We are called to be holy, set apart to God, living lives with beautifully clear edges that show that whilst the rest of the world may do what they do, we are different. We're set apart to him. He calls us to have boundaries in our lives. Places that are beyond where we will go. Things that we won't do that others may do. Things that we will not say or think or aim for or live for or tolerate that people around us may. He calls us to be different and he calls us to be his holy people in this world. To be set apart to him. To live different lives. What's the challenge? Well, that the tide will come in. That the things of this world that surround us will start to blur those edges until when we're in the office or in the supermarket or in the school or in the college or whatever else, it'll be hard to tell us apart from everybody else. That's the challenge. But God calls us and he says in 1 Peter 2, you, great parts, are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, the tide that washes over us. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
That's what we're called to. Enjoy your inheritance, all that is yours in Christ, and live within your boundaries. Keep them sharp and clear. Don't let the the pagan world around us, with its sinful desires, which war against our souls, wash over us and cause us to be just like anybody else. Moses wanted the people of God to look forward to all that was theirs, to enter into it, to receive the abundant life, the fruitful life, the obedient, victory-filled life that Canaan was to be to them. And Christ calls us to it today. Come, let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make our own. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that for many people here, um, I'm guessing, Lord, are Christians. They've become Christians and started on that journey of entering into what Jesus has given to us, this glorious inheritance. Our prayer tonight, Lord, is that we will enter in deeper and deeper to know you more and more and to know how much you love us and care for us and to enjoy that and to look forward with hope to the inheritance that is ours one day in heaven with you. But Lord, we don't want to wait just for heaven. We want to look forward to it. But right now you promised us an abundant life, a full life. And we pray that we will know that too, as we trust you and follow you. And Lord, you know, sometimes living in this world with its evil influences around us, it's easy, Lord, for us in our weakness to blur the edges of our lives. And Lord, we want to live with boundaries. We want to be your special people, your holy people in this world. And so tonight we pray that you will help us live for you, to put right, Lord, the places we've gone wrong, that we may be holy to you, a holy people, honoring you and living for you in this world. So thank you, Lord, for everyone here this evening. Thank you for those that have followed you for decades. Thank you for the young people that are here, Lord. I pray your special blessing and anointing upon them tonight because, Lord, living in schools and colleges today is, is tough. It's tough to be different, and I pray you'll give them courage and faith and resolve to go after you. In Jesus' name.